I heard a story about a young boy who was acting up in school, and so the teacher called him up to her desk, and she said, do you remember what you promised me? And he said, yes, I promised you that I wouldn't misbehave. (coughs) And she said, and do you remember what I promised you? And he said, yes, you promised me that if I misbehaved, that you would send me to the principal's office. But since I broke my promise, it's okay if you break yours too. So we are in a series called That Is Who You Are, and in this series we've been looking at some of the awesome characteristics and attributes of our God and thinking about God, because as what we've said, as I've read to you the last couple of weeks, that quote from A.W. Tozer, what you think about God or what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And so we talked about God as a way maker. We've talked about God as a miracle worker last week. Next week, we're going to talk about God as a light in the darkness. But this week, we're going to focus in on, speaking of the story at the beginning, God as promise keeper. So what do you think of God? Because what you think of God shapes everything about you. And so do you think of God as a promise keeper? Here's the thing. We live in a culture where it's caused us to be a little bit skeptical, skeptical about promises. We go through, and we are right about in the midst of that, we go through a political season every two and four years where we have a multitude of candidates um, make promises to us that we know that they probably are not going to deliver on, right? You watch commercial after commercial after commercial uh, pitching products for things that they say will do for your life that in the end you know they're not going to do everything that they say their product is going uh, to do. Or perhaps at a personal level, you've been uh, really hurt by somebody that broke a big promise to you, and now it's just hard for you to trust people. Maybe you've even felt that struggle when it comes to God. And if you have, then you are in good company because you're not the only one who has struggled with that. There are people all throughout the Bible, who struggled to believe the promises of God. Like, for example, as we're going to look at today, Abraham and Sarah. Now, they are old. They are past the point of being able to have children, but God says to them, you are going to have a baby boy. And it says in Genesis chapter 17 that Abraham laughed, And it says in the very next chapter, in chapter 18 of Genesis, that Sarah laughed. And it wasn't like a, aha, great laugh. It was a really kind of laugh. Like, (laughs) that's really not going to happen kind of laugh. They laughed at the promises of God. They laughed at the thought of a birth being covered by Medicare. They laughed at the idea of getting kids' meal discounts and senior citizen discounts at the same restaurant. They laughed at the idea of going to Walmart or Meyer and buying Depends and Pampers on the same trip. They laughed. Because it's not always easy to, to trust and to have full faith in the faithfulness of God. But remember, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And so even when you can't feel it, even when you can't always see it, do you affirm what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 145, verse 13? The Lord is trustworthy in all he does, faithful in all he does. Here's the big idea that I want to kind of frame in a question this week. Do you believe the God that you believe in? Now, that may seem like an interesting question um, or a question that doesn't make much sense, but there is a difference. 
Do you believe the God that you believe in? Because you can believe in God. You can believe that there is a God, that he exists, and not actually believe him and trust in what he has told you. Uh, I uh, came across this um, a couple of weeks ago, but did you know that there's actually a website called Fake a Vacation? You can go on the website and for anywhere from $20 to $50, they will take pictures, take your pictures, and put them into backgrounds of Disney World, Las Vegas, um, Grand Canyon, all those kind of things, and then they'll send you a packet of all kinds of informations and facts. So like during COVID, obviously a lot of vacation plans got canceled, you know, so you maybe didn't get to go. But if you want to act like you went somewhere without actually going somewhere, they will provide you all the necessary tools to make it look like you did. So you can put it on social media and you can put it out there like you went on a vacation when you didn't actually go on vacation. (coughs) And I bring that up because just like fake a vacation is that way, uh, fake faith is very similar. Because when faith is real, you go places in view of the promises of God. You don't just stay put and take pictures of the places. You go to those places. But fake faith never actually leaves. It never actually steps out. It believes in God, maybe, (coughs) but it doesn't go where faith would take you if you actually believed God. And this is why the story of Abraham, I think, is so important. He's in a place called Mesopotamia, his homeland, And again, he's way past the age of of having kids at this point. And God calls out to him in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And it says in verse 4, So Abraham, or Abram at this point, went as the Lord had told him. Now there are two key components in this passage and in the story of Abraham for what righteousness looks like, for what it looks like to get right with God, which is why (coughs) consistently when God wants to point his people, us included, back to what righteousness looks like, back to what it looks like to get right with God, he uses the example of Abraham. Over and over, New Testament writers are going to use the example of Abraham. And those two components are promise and faith. Promise and faith. Promise is God's will and God's power and God's capacity to create a new future where there has only been a barren past. God's promise says, I can create the world that you long for and that you desire. Faith is the capacity to embrace and to act on that announced future with such conviction that you move in that direction. (coughs) And so again, (coughs) excuse me, promise is God saying, here is the future that I can create for you. God says, here's where I desire for you to be, and I can create this. Faith is the capacity to say, I don't just believe in you, but I believe you so much that I'm not going to stay where I am anymore. But I'm moving in the direction of that future. For Abraham, that that meant leaving his homeland, leaving his family that he knew, the life that he knew, constantly living on the move. And it 
many places, not giving up hope when it felt like the promise would not be kept. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And he had some stumbles along the way in his faith journey, but he kept getting back up and moving in the direction of the promise. He kept deciding to believe the God that he believed in. And it comes to a head in Genesis chapter 15. Still no babies. They lived in the land for quite some time now. And God takes Abraham outside. And he says, I want you to look up. It's nighttime. I want you to look up, Abraham. Can you count the stars? One, two, three, it's innumerable. Can you count the stars? Of course not. And God says to Abraham, that's how many descendants you're going to have from your body. And it says in Genesis chapter 15, verse six, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. How do you get right with God? You believe him, you move in the direction of the future that he's promised, and he will credit that faith and obedience with the righteousness of Christ. Now, if you know anything about the story of Abraham, you know that his faith was not perfect. It was flawed, but it wasn't fake. He structured his life around the faithfulness of God. He just kept believing that every promise God made will be kept. And so again, the most important thing about you (coughs) is what do you think of God? So is your God a promise keeper? Because if you really believe God and not just believe in him. That doesn't take much to believe in God. I don't want to discount that. But the Bible says even the demons believe and shudder. We're talking about something that goes beyond that. Not just believing in God, but believing him and trusting in his promises. When we do that, some important things are going to happen. Here's the first. Believing him, believing God will motivate obedience. It will. (coughs) When you believe God, you don't fake the trip. You don't get the pictures in the packet. You make the trip. You take the pictures. God's promises are meant to be pursued. And so here's what that meant for Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verses eight and nine. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Hang on to that phrase. He went without without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Now, I don't want to say it's easy, but faith is easier when you have the outline, right? You ever gone on a trip? You, you, you plan some sort of itinerary, right? And it's easy to kind of, okay, here's where this is going, here's where this is going, here's where this is going, Obedience is easier. I'm not going to say easy, but it's easier when God gives you a schedule and he lets you know everything that's going to happen. Now, some of you are saying, when does that happen? And that's probably part of the point, right? God doesn't do that. We know that's not how God works. Obedience would be much easier if he did, but oftentimes that's not the way God works. And oftentimes for us, we don't want to move until God makes it clear what's going to happen if we do. But the reality is, oftentimes God gives you a very specific promise, and then he doesn't give you very specific details about what it's going to be like on the way there. It says, Abraham went without knowing where he was going. He obeyed without a lot of the details. I heard a story, (coughs) a little anecdotal story uh, about a man that came to Mother Teresa, and he asked her, he said, would you pray for me for clarity? And she said, no. 
but I will pray for you for more trust. Because that's way more important. Trust is way more important than having the full picture and having clarity. We trust in the one who does see the full picture and who does have ultimate clarity. I like the words of Martin Luther King who put it this way, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And so Abraham says, I I don't know when I'm supposed to stop. I just know I'm supposed to go. And so I'm going to go. And when God wants me to stop, he'll let me know. He may have wondered where, but he didn't wonder if. He said, God's made a promise and I'm going to move in the direction of that promise because I believe him. And he ordered his life around the conviction that the, the promise maker is also a promise keeper. It's easy to make promises. It's far harder to keep them. And that's the tension in which we live, the same one that Abraham lived in. We all live in this space in big and small ways between the promises that God has made and the fact that we haven't received all of those promises just yet. And so are we going to trust him and move in his direction? Are we going to live like people who believe God and not just believe in God? So in John chapter four, it tells the story about this Gentile officer. Some of you may know the story. And he, he's got a son who's very, very sick. And so he hears about this Jesus guy. He says, I, I you know, heard about this rabbi. He's healing people. I love my son. I need to go see him. I need to figure out a way to get Jesus to come to where I am and heal my son. And so he goes, Jesus is a ways away. He goes to meet Jesus. Hears about him, goes to meet him, comes up to Jesus. He says, I need you to come and heal my son. And Jesus puts him in this tension. And it's easy to read this story and say like, yeah, that's easy to do. Just put yourself in this situation for a moment. You know, even if you've read the story and kind of remove maybe what you know about the story and think through it. Jesus puts him in this tension. Here's what Jesus says. Again, this guy comes, leaves his sick son at home and comes and to Jesus. And Jesus says in verse 50 of, of chapter four, go, your son will live. Now, if you don't know the end of the story, and I'll read it in just a second. My first thought would be, go. The whole reason I came was so you would go back with me. I don't want to go back by myself. I want you to come back with me and heal my son. Go. But look what it says. The man took Jesus at his word. Oh, that we would do that more often, right? Just take God at his word. But he took Jesus at his word. And departed. He decided to believe and he moved in the direction of the promise. And here's what happens. On the way back, servants came and said, the fever broke. Your son is okay. And the guy says, well, what time did the fever break? And the servant says, yesterday, about one in the afternoon. And at that moment, the guy realizes, the dad realizes it was at that exact moment that his son's fever broke, that Jesus had said, your son will live. Isn't that a cool story? Did you know Jesus never says except me? That's modern popular religion. We say things like that. Except Jesus. Jesus never says except me. He's not worried about whether you accept him or not. You know what Jesus says? Follow me. That's what Jesus calls us to. Follow me is for people who intend to believe Jesus. 
accept me is just for people who want to believe in Jesus. And that's, again, nothing wrong with that. That's a good start. But follow me is something far deeper. Because to believe God is to start a journey that you believe will be worth it in the end. Even when it's hard, you keep going. Because if God is a promise keeper, here's the second thing. Believing him strengthens resilience. The more I live, and this is true in my own life, and it's true, I've seen it in, in far too many of our lives, it is so easy to grow accustomed to barriers. It is so easy to grow accustomed to obstacles and barriers and pitfalls in our lives. It's so easy to get used to a future that seems to have no hope, even for us as Christians. I mean, we'll come in here on a Sunday and we'll worship, and yet we'll go back out and forget so many of the things that we have been worshiping the God that he tells us we get to experience in our lives. And so we, we have these, these times and seasons of hopelessness. My marriage is never going to get better. My finances are never going to get better. My addiction's never going to get better. My prodigal son is never going to come home. The list goes on and on. You fill in the blank of whatever it is that you're dealing with, and we just keep dealing with it. And it is a struggle to keep believing God when the things that you are hoping for never seem to come. And again, I think about Abraham and Sarah. Month after month after month, this constant reminder, no baby. And again, we know the end of the story, but it's far different when you're living in the story. No baby. And what you have to decide is, what they had to decide, what you and I have to decide is, am I going to order my life around my present circumstances? Or am I going to order my life around the faithfulness of a promise-keeping God? Here's what Sarah chose. <laughs> it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11, it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. <coughs> she, <coughs> excuse me, she believed that God would keep his promise. <coughs> you see, God doesn't just predict the future. God creates the future. And so when it seems like despair is in charge, what you need to do is fill your heart and your mind with the truth of God because the most important thing about you is what you think of God. And so fill your heart with the promises of God. Psalm chapter 91, let me just give you a couple. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 91, verses two through four. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him for he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. I love that metaphor that the promises of God are our armor and our protection. Lamentations chapter three, <clears throat> verses 21 through 24. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Literally, I could go on and on and on. Scripture is full of words of encouragement just like this. <clears throat> and so when you feel like you're stuck in that place where it just feels hopeless, and it feels like the future isn't coming and you feel like life is just draining the faith out of your faith tank. Be proactive. Move in the direction 
of God's promises and fill your heart and your mind with those same promises. And by the way, God asks for a bold faith. He doesn't ask for a blind faith. That's such a false dichotomy that, that somehow to have faith is, 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 is to be blind to reality. Every time you see a rainbow in the sky, God is saying, think about my faithfulness. Think about my faithfulness. I keep my promises. Jesus said, every time you see a flower blooming and you think about its beauty, God's saying, I'm faithful. Every time you see a sparrow flying in the air, especially if it's got a worm in its mouth, God's saying, I provide, I keep my promises. Every morning the sun comes up, it declares the faithfulness of God. Every time, we're going to share in just a few moments, every time we take, every week we come together, we share in taking the bread and we share in taking the grape juice, right? That's, that's a reminder of God saying, I told you I would send a Savior and I keep my promises. You see, it's not just us. I mean, we feel like this sometimes, but it's not, it's, we're not meant to just trudge along. We're moving. We're not trudging in the direction of the promise. We're walking boldly in the direction of the promise. Because here's the third thing. Believing God inspires confidence. Conviction about the future brings great courage to the present, right? I was thinking this morning as we're sitting in class, Dwayne said that um, there's not too far off to where we're gonna, our kids are gonna be anticipating Christmas coming, right? And all the gifts under the tree, that's, that's the hope, right? Well, it's hard, but that hope of what's coming under the tree can give at least some courage in the moment to trudge through the next couple of weeks, right? Maybe even boldly ask for some things that, that we might want. But that conviction about the future helps us have courage in the present. Don't you find that true? Not just when it comes to presence under the tree, but in life. When you're absolutely convinced about what the future can be, doesn't it give you strength in the present moment? Abraham spent the rest of his life embracing a future reality as a present encouragement. (coughs) It says this in chapter 11 of Hebrews, verse 10. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. This guy lived in that land for years, never owned a square inch, but he was confident in his future. He was confident in his inheritance. And that confident confidence was never more clearly on display than when God asked him to do something incredible, to sacrifice his own son, Isaac. We read about that in Genesis chapter 22. <coughs> God says, take your son Isaac up to the mountain and I want you to offer him to me. Hold on, What? I mean, this, this, is, this is the son, A, this is the son we waited on. B, this is the son through whom you said, look up at the stars. <coughs> through him, m- numerous descendants are coming through him. And now you want me to sacrifice him? How can you keep your promise and take back your promise at the same time? That's what Abraham was wrestling with. Now remember, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And we find out what Abraham thought of God. Because it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promise, was ready to sacrifice his only son Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. 
Abraham reasoned, get this, <coughs> excuse me, Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. It's so interesting. Last week I talked about Elijah and the young boy, if you were with us. I mean, up to that point, ne- never seen anyone, you know, rise from the dead, be brought back from the dead. Here, at this point, Scripture, there, there's no evidence <coughs> that anyone has ever been brought back from the dead to this point. But do you see what he thought about God? He says, I don't get it. But God says, through this boy, you're going to have more descendants than you can count. So the best I can figure is, if the boy dies, somehow God's going to bring him back. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know that you are a promise maker and you are a promise keeper. That's what he thought about God. And he came through the test because he knew God would come through. Because his hope was never in Isaac. His hope was in I am, and ours should be too. (coughs) Especially when the accuser shows up. See, we don't like to talk about Satan a whole lot, but there is an enemy, and he is real. And he will do everything he can to mess up and jack up what you and I think about God. He will do everything to get you to doubt the promises and the faithfulness of God, including your salvation and especially sometimes your salvation. <clears throat> and listen, he's good at what he does. And so he'll come along and he'll whisper, are you kidding me? You think God doesn't know about your younger years, high school days, college years? You kidding me? You, you think God doesn't know about that secret sin in your life? You think God doesn't know about what you're struggling with right now and what you're kind of hiding? You think God doesn't know about all those screw-ups in your life? And so what you need to do, (coughs) you need to remind the enemy, and probably before you do that, you need to remind yourself of the faithfulness of God. That my hope and my future salvation does not depend on how hard I can hold on to God. It depends on how hard he can hold on to me. (coughs) That my future depends on him keeping his promises. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9 says, He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into his partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Doesn't that encourage your heart? God will do this. (laughs) Like God's not sitting up there just hoping, man, I hope he brings, no, God will bring you through. God is going to present you without blame on the day Jesus returns. He's going to do what he said he would do because he is a promise keeper. That's why I have hope. That's why I can tell the enemy to get lost and rebuke him. I love what Jude chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 says. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. That's what I think about God. Because here's the thing, more important than the amount of your faith, and I'm not saying the amount of your faith is unimportant, but I don't care how much faith you have if you don't have it in the right things. 
Because more important than the amount of faith is the object of your faith. So my word to you is simply this. Put your faith in his faithfulness. Start moving in the direction of what he's called you to do and believe the God you believe in because he is a promise keeper. My God, that is who you are.